Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Woo. T stands for tired. Yes, it does. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to Thunder and Lightning here at supertalk.fm or wherever you're getting your podcast from. We certainly appreciate that. We appreciate all our listeners, especially the servicemen and women taking care of us, taking care of us out there. If they were still open, I'm pretty sure Joel T. Coleman would have gone to Strange Brew Coffee House on his way to the uh, Super Talk Studios this evening. Could have sure used it. This is going to be kind of a sleepy show. Maybe no, not. No, we're Maybe gonna, not. We're going to make we'll it. Up. We're, we're going we're to get the adrenaline running very, very soon. Uh, that said, when they are open, if you need to get a little shot of juice, that's the place to go. Strange Brew Coffee House. That's this holiday season. They've got all the holiday drinks. The hot chocolate keep you, keep you going through this cold weather that we're having. Of course, they got plenty of great gifts for the coffee lover in your life and for the bulldog in your life. The best gifts are going to be found at College Corner in Jackson. They're over uh, in Ridgeland by Fleet Feet or by Flo- in Flowood by the Half Shell. Or you can just shop online at CollegeCornerStore.com. Check out their best, their biggest and best selection of MSU merchandise. Don't go this holiday season without getting that bulldog fan you love. You know, if you're going to the Music City Bowl, you need new gear to do it. So get out on the best, get that best looking hoodie, get the new hat, get it at College Corner or collegecornerstore.com. Before we do anything else, Thank you to Jerry Reed and to Chet Atkins. That's who plays the music for the Cruton song, if you did not know that. Uh, Joel, a lot of people like drama. They live for drama. There was no drama today. And that is, a as, as far back as I can remember, a first for Mississippi State recruiting on a signing day. Uh, kind of, you know, refreshing a little bit to not have Twitter meltdowns, no... Uh, Flipmas, none of that crap. State thought they had 21, 22 guys coming in, and they got every one of them. Uh, I guess there was one mini surprise in the good way, but even that really wasn't kind of a surprise because they kind of knew that was coming. So <laughs> there, I've never seen anything like it, and I'm not the best judge of that kind of thing because I've until I got on the beat, I didn't pay just a ton of attention to recruiting, and even now that I'm on the beat. I still don't just lock into it like some folks. Right. But uh, So I'm not the best judge of that kind of stuff. But I feel like Joe Moorhead, who's been coaching for about 21 years, is a pretty good judge. And he said he ain't never seen it either. Yeah, I So agree. Uh, how unique is this? That, that not, not just, you know, this isn't some run-of-the-mill D2 team. This was an SEC West team that had 21 commits, mm-hmm. or 22 if you want to count the other yeah, that was never added to the 24-7 commit tracker thing. Yeah. Uh, but they got every one of them. Yeah. Th- there was absolutely no no one yeah. that, that, that missed the net. 21 there. commitments, including, and then one more grad transfer Yeah, who, who was in a top 25 class. But like we said, everybody that was on the list as a commitment on Tuesday is now on the signed letter of intent on Wednesday. Yeah, and that is something that has been very rare—not just for Mississippi State, but just about for anybody um, in the recruiting business. So to to get that done, very very impressive by Joe Moorhead. I'll I, I'll say this on the show, and I'll say it again here that Moorhead deserves a lot of credit for this. You know, obviously you it's got to translate this into wins, but when you look at the bottom half of of the uh, 
the group. I mean, the, the lowest rated signee state signed is DeCamry and Richardson. Well, he's the guy who had a Tennessee offer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That he was the he was the lone yeah kind of surprise, although not really surprised. You think about some of the lowest rated recruits the past couple of years, you know, especially under the previous regime, and that guy didn't. He might have had an East Tennessee offer. <laughs> you know, that guy might have had a UT Chattanooga offer. But to to be getting players down the line like that that had Power Five offers, that's 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 a good sign for Mississippi State. It means that you're your, your depth is getting better. Now, they need some immediate impact guys out of this class, specifically the wide receivers, the JUCOs, the, the defensive linemen, JUCOs, and one of those running backs probably needs to make a step forward. But all in all, is it an elite recruiting class? No. Is it the kind of class that even puts MSU any closer to the top of the SEC West? Absolutely not. But it is a solid recruiting class that if the players in it can be developed, can maintain MSU's postseason streak and continue to make them a better team in the future. Yep, and you know it, it, it's such a—I I don't know—it's it, weird to praise Mississippi State for this recruiting class because at the end of the day, they're still tenth in the SEC. Right. On this, but that said, if everything stays, and I mean, there's still a couple more months till February, and I mean, you know, there could be some fluctuation, but if everything stays. State's going to have its third straight top twenty-five recruiting class. Yeah. And. Look, if you want to criticize Joe Moorhead for his offense or for his coaching or whatever, feel free. You know, there's all kinds of stuff there to pick apart. But for his recruiting ability, I mean, he is at least mulling or better. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to, if he can figure out the winning part of it on the field, you got something there. There's no question about that. I mean, I would say better than Mullen because I think he has better recruiters on his staff. I agree with that. And I think he takes. A delight in recruiting. I do too. That that Mullen did not. I mean, if you looked at Florida's message boards today, they're starting to feel that down there. They're starting to see that you know he had carries some recruiting dead weight on his staff, uh, and has no intention of of cleaning out that dead weight. Yeah. yeah. There again, this this is another team that's like what six in the SEC, but they're like top eight in the country, and they're right. really wanting but, to burn but, it down. But they know that six in the SEC doesn't get you closer to first in the SEC. Yeah. You know, you've got to be first, second, maybe third, and they know that. You know, because they've been there. And they know that what Dan Mellon's doing right now is exactly what I have said from day one with Dan Mellon at Florida. Good enough to win 9, 10 games every year. Yeah. And at Mississippi State, buddy, they'll build a statue. They might build a statue that's as tall as the stadium of a coach that won 9 or 10 games every year. Yeah. But at Florida, they get you fired. Yeah. You know, and then that's what you sort of stepped into. Top 25 every year recruiting class for Mississippi State is good enough to win six games every year. The only thing, the only thing that, that, that saves should, Mullen a little be. bit for next year was the decision to run off Justin Fields. If Fields had stayed at Georgia, if they had said we're going with Fields over Fromm, and they let Fromm transfer out, buddy, you got two more years of getting your ass kicked by Georgia. With Fromm, I mean, I think he'll stay for his senior year, but I don't know if he will or not, but that's the only thing. Let's 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 go back to Mississippi State. Though. Let's look at this class. Would you agree with that, though? I mean, if, if Moorhead continues to recruit at this, this level, top 25 and above, that that should be enough to at least keep State Bowl eligible most, you know. Well, yeah, every, but every year. The problem with that is he's got to be better in 2020. Got to be much better in 2020, especially offensively, and that's going to be tough. But yeah, we'll, it we'll, is. We'll talk it about is. that a little bit more uh, as the as the year progresses. That said, uh, you don't have to be as good offensively next year because your defense should be better. Should We're be kind better. Of, kind of a little bit of a reverse of 
And, they, anyway. and they, the, the big deal on defense was trying to get some, some new faces on that defensive line who could immediately make an impact. And you signed three defensive linemen from the JUCO ranks. The top guy is Jordan Davis, a four-star guy out of Colin, uh, who was rated as the number one defensive end in the country. Uh, the number four player, regardless of position, by, in the JUCO ranks by 24-7. Anytime I do rankings, by the way, they come from 24-7. I don't do, if you're a Mississippi State person, there's no reason to look at Rivals. Yeah, now, Rivals is a great company that does a lot of good stuff at other schools, but not for Mississippi State. So I don't. If you ever hear me talk about recruiting rankings, and that's one of the issues I have on Sports Talk is Michael Borky when he does rankings does Rivals, and it's like I don't ever look at Rivals. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, Spoiler alert, if you didn't know, there's no one from Rivals There is no here. rival for Mississippi State. <laughs> uh, but Jordan Davis is a guy who was committed to Tennessee. He was committed to Alabama at one point. So he had legit, real offers. I mean, so a really, really big-time player. Then Trey Lawson is one of the more intriguing guys in this class to me. Built like Montez Sweat. Same sort of backstory as Montez Sweat. You know, came from a Power 5 program, had to transfer into a JUCO, uh, and then, you know, had a good, good time, good career there. National championship down in Mississippi Gulf Coast. State would love nothing more than to get Montez Sweat production out of him, but they, I think they would settle for about half of that, to be totally honest with you. And then sort of an X-Factor guy, and uh, the guy that sort of made a, a splash on Tuesday by signing a day early because he was across the international date line, uh, Benjamin Key, 6'5", 280-pound end, fully expect him to go end up at tackle. At 6'5", I mean, he could easily be 305, 310 pounds uh, and play the tackle position. So those guys are going to need to come in and contribute immediately. And then of the two receivers, I think Caleb Ducking is least likely to contribute. He caught nine passes this year. Now he went to play for a school that runs a triple option. Yeah. So I mean, at least and at least it was it wasn't nine catches for eighty three yards. You know, he averaged uh, over twenty yards a catch. But my guess is a lot of that is they just caught a lot of people off guard throwing the football. But he made the catches. Uh, and then there, then you have Malik Heath who. The long winding road to Starkville has finally uh, his journey has finally ended. You know, from Callaway was the state's top recruit. I, I mentioned this on Sports Talk Mississippi. State in twenty uh, that would in the class of twenty seventeen signed three receivers that were you know destined to change Mississippi <laughs> State's offense forever. Yep, Devontae Jason, yep. Stephen Gidry, and Malik Keith. Gidry's gone. He did nothing. Devontae Jason's gone. He did nothing. He signed with Nickel State today. In case you're wondering how, uh, you know, if you're, you're 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 sad that he hit the transfer portal, I think it's pretty obvious that nobody else was really paying attention to him. And now Malik Heath finally shows up. And can he be? He has to be good. If he's not, I, I don't know what to make of next year's offense. State desperately. If you if he can just do what he did at Colin, which was I think 33 catches for 503 yards. Fine. Take it. I take that today if I'm Joe Moore. Yeah, it'd be the best MSU receiving season in like half a decade. Yeah. Almost. Since Fred Ross. Yeah. <laughs> the other Juco signee is uh, Tyrus Wheat, big linebacker out of Colin as well. Stayed with three guys out of Colin today. Um, and he's got another guy who I think can play immediately. I think, you know, right now you look at what the defense is going to look like next year. I expect Errol Thompson to return. I expect Willie Gay to return. I could be wrong about those, but that's what I expect. So he's sort of that third guy in there, you know, to provide depth, maybe start on occasion, just depending on the, on the, on the matchup. But he's a guy that I know for a fact that uh, Chris Marv and Bob Shoup were very, very high on. Of these guys, of this JUCO guys, who, am, who are we going to be talking about the most in 2020? Are you talking about the entire signing class here? Of, of the JUCO guys. I mean, for states, hope. State's sake, they better hope it is Malik Heath. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if it's Malik Keith, if he's the guy we're talking about the most, then that means State's finally doing something in the passing game. I mean, you finally have a guy that, that Garrett Schrader can throw the ball to. I mean, if that's who we're talking about, I think that's a good sign for State. So that's who I'd go with. I mean, I don't disagree with you. But go back to what you said, you know, that maybe the offense doesn't need to be as good because the defense can be better. Yeah, One true. of these Juco guys might be the guy that's, that shows up and, and really does something for Mississippi State. Like I said, I think it could be uh, – excuse me. It could be Trey Lawson. I – and I, I, not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I'm not going to do toot, 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 never mind. Uh, but when Sweat was recruited, that was a guy, I was just intrigued with him because of his frame and because I knew he had the Power 5 experience. And you're sort of getting that same thing here. And he committed to State uh, early in the process and really didn't seem to seek out the spotlight, didn't take a lot of visits or anything like that. So I think, you know, I don't. Again, I'm not saying that this kid is going to become a, a two-time All-SEC player and the leading sacker in the SEC and a first-round draft choice. But he doesn't have to be that. He just has to be pretty good. Yeah. And I, I just feel like there's just something about him that, that reminds me of Montez Sweat. Um, and then Key, I'm very interested to see when he gets here, just because he seems like a physical, uh, like he, he's got some 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 potential there. High ceiling, I guess, would be the, uh, the way to put that. From the high school guys. I think you've also got some guys who you need to contribute right away. And we'll start at the top of the class, and that's Jaquavius Marks, who right now, if you said, Brian, who is the lead lead dog in the backfield by game four or five? I think it's going to be him. Really? Uh, You think he'll he'll jump over Witherspoon? Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to count on Kareem Walker until it happens. I'm I'm not going to fall into that trap. Uh, And then with Witherspoon, at the end of the day, Marks was a more productive High school. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And not in terms of numbers, because Witherspoon's numbers are just crazy, but Marks played at a high level in, in Georgia and piled up big numbers. He had offers from big, big programs. Um, and I think he fits what Joe Moorhead wants in that he's a little smaller, but he's a lot of he's a lot explosive. Um, now, I like Dylan Johnson as well, and I think both of those guys are going to get their opportunity. At six foot and 190 pounds, I would definitely give Johnson a look at receiver, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But Marks, to me, is the guy that, right, I mean, at the end of the day, your top-rated recruit should be a contributor almost nine times out of ten. You know, it's going to be some times where it's not, like last year with Charles Cross, because he's an offensive lineman and you want you, you to redshirt him. You don't need to rush him in. But a skill position guy like this, you feel like that guy should be contributing from day one. The fact that Devontae Jason didn't contribute from day one was a huge red flag. Yeah. If Marks doesn't come in and, and – He's at least a third down back or something. You know, he, he's not getting six to ten touches a game as a true freshman. That's that's a red flag. He, he's kind of a little bit what Colin Hill was his yeah. freshman year. Well, maybe a little bit more to be honest with you, because because there's no there's no Aris Williams. Yeah, yeah. You know, in Colin's freshman year in seventeen, you knew that Aris Williams was going to be the guy. Um, I guess that's the uh, is that the class of seventeen. I guess that's right. I don't know. I'm trying to keep up here. Maybe it's eighteen. <laughs> it would have been Moorhead's. First, yeah, the 18 class. Um, I, I, that's Who what, knows? Long day. I know. I'm, I know where I'm getting it wrong because this is the class of 2020. So Malik Keith was the number one prospect in the 18 class, not the 17. That was Cam Akers class. Um, but yeah, if Marks is not getting 10 touches a game, something's not right. You know, and that's it's not it's not working out. Uh, Tulu Griffin is another guy. State needs some speed. They don't know who that slot receiver is going to be. They, they need him to at least come in and give them something right off the top. They, they, they need it. 
either him or Jaden Wally, the uh, six foot one. 175-pounder who played quarterback at D'Iberville. He will move to receiver. He was at receiver for the uh, Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game and looked pretty good at there from what we were told. State is so desperate for receivers. At least two of these guys have got to give them something between the high school and the JUCO guys. It's not, well, that would be a bonus. That would be gravy. It would be good. It is imperative to Joe Moorhead's tenure at Mississippi State that two of these guys – are capable receivers next season. Well, they're darn sure going to have every opportunity, you would think. You would there, think. there isn't anybody that's standing in their way. Um, I mean, yeah, Osiris Mitchell's out there. Uh, I mean, he, he'll obviously be a starter. Javante Payton's got a year on these guys, so I, I guess he'll have a shot. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you need more than, than two. So, like you said, a couple of these guys – could could absolutely and has to absolutely step in there for this offense to to, to do anything uh, through through the air. Um, man, that's a dangerous road to go down, though. If you like, you just said that the Moorhead tenure might hinge on some of these guys hitting. And if you're counting on first year guys, even if it's JUCO guys, how many times have you seen a JUCO guy come in and not do nothing? Stephen Gidry, yeah, uh, and he ain't the only one. I, it's not Stephen Gidry pick on you day, but there's no guarantee even with JUCO guys are going to step in. Well, I mean, and, and a guy anything, like who so. ended up doing something eventually, like Martinez Rankin. Yeah, it took him some time. He had Richard. Yeah, so I mean, there's just a lot, a lot to worry about with with Mississippi State. Does it say anything about this? And I guess I'm looking at the class as a whole now. Do you think it says anything that there was no drama with this class? And that, that you know, Morey talked a lot about the the buy-in to this program and the mm-hmm. culture and a lot of those words that we've heard before. But it is pretty doggone unique, as we mentioned a while ago, to have a class with no drama. Is, I think it's is, a, is it just a perfect storm, yes. or are these guys actually? Is there something different about this class as far as the bought inness? I think that one thing that Morehead said was he's been recruiting this class for two years. So he is really – I think he really had a good feel for his class. And I think there's part of it is that Ole Miss is in flux. And your top competitor for some of these guys – you know, Emmanuel Forbes, back during the season, there was a lot of talk that he might flip to Ole Miss. A lot of worry about that. By the end of the season, that was gone. And then on last uh, – the Saturday of the, uh, the big official visits up here, he shut everything down. You know, Will Rogers was an Ole Miss kid growing up, big Rebel fan. And – Honestly, it's probably a pretty good fit for what Lane Kiffin wants to do, but there was no time to build that relationship. Um, not that, he, not not to say that Kiffin would have just come in and flipped him if he had had enough time, but I'm just saying it was almost impossible for Ole Miss to get any traction. You notice that Ole Miss, and to talk about them for just a second, I mean they they didn't even hit on some guys that in some strongholds of theirs. You know, Horn Lake has been a pretty good spot for Ole Miss the past few years. Uh, but they didn't get Josiah Hayes. He went to Kentucky, of all places. Um, they thought they were going to be able – I mean, they had a kid in, in their own hometown. And I know Rippy said that uh, it looks like there may have been some overstatement. But, I mean, I, who knows the truth. But the kid, J.J. Pegues, is saying Kiffin wouldn't even set up a meeting with me. So, you know, it's who do you want to believe, Lane Kiffin or the kid? And, you know, I'm not going to choose either one. I'm just going to tell you what's being said. So – I think it was just a combination of what Moorhead said and what Moorhead – I think and Moorhead has, like you mentioned, he has good recruiters on staff, and he has a passion for recruiting. So he put in the effort. He put in the work. He said – he says nobody's going to outwork you. you know. And, and look, that, that's a great you know, thing because when you're Mississippi State and you don't have the same 
toys yeah. that Alabama and LSU and Texas and Ohio State have, and you don't have you know the same amount of money, the budget. You don't have the same amount of coaches, and you don't have the same tradition. You got to have something. And Moorhead sort of hit on that. He talked about, I feel like the, the involvement of the head coach is paramount for us because it has to. We have to have something else. And he, he says he feels that no head coach is doing as much recruiting one-on-one with these players as him. Can I say this, too? Absolutely I can. This is thunder and lightning, and I'm lightning, so I can say whatever I want to say. Um, We obviously got a unique experience today. Yeah. To sit in the war room with these coaches as they called these recruits. I don't know how many places in the country, I'm going to say not many, uh, gets the opportunity to sit in there with the head coach as he calls a recruit. Yeah. And we got to see it with every single guy that signed on the dotted line uh, on Wednesday. We got to see his interactions with every single one of those guys. And I confess, I've never sat in the war room with any other head coach. So I don't know what other head coaches do. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, you tell me if you agree, I was totally impressed with how he coached Moorhead's attention to detail with every single guy. It seemed like with every single guy that popped up on that screen, every conversation he had with every recruit, there was a connection there that went beyond football. I agree. There was a, whether well, it was like Janari Dean with the horse thing. Knew everybody's and, and parents' names. Knew everybody's brothers. parents, brothers, the dog, the babies. The, the, I mean, it just knew everybody and, and was asking about like, I can't even remember now which guy it was. He was asking about like the bull with the horns or something. Apparently they'd went out to see. Mm-hmm. On one of his visits, and he asked Janardine if he broke that horse and things. But but there were those are just a couple of examples. It was something like that with with most everybody. He, he asked one of the the moms something about her. Uh, he liked her new hairdo and yeah. stuff like that. And I know some of that. It was really it's weird, relationship by the way. building, and I really do feel like J- Joe Moorhead. It, it look, it's part of the job, yes, but I think he's genuine at it. Like I do think he builds genuine relationships and. I, like I said, I've never been in the war room with any other coach, but I just have a hard time believing that if you sat in the war room with like a Dan Mullen, that he would have had the same genuine connections with not just the players, but everyone that was in these calls. I, I, I kid you not, folks, it was impressive. I, I know this isn't this isn't Joe Moorhead kiss your butt season sitting here on Thunder and Lightning, mm-hmm. but. I couldn't have come away more impressed with how he handled the interactions with those re- recruits. For all the criticism he faces with offense and can he win or not, I don't know. But I do know that he was really, to me, impressive in, in those interactions. Yeah, and I want to thank uh, Bill Martin and MSU Media. Absolutely. And all those guys for letting us have that unique uh, look inside the war room and what they were doing and, and the way they, uh, like you said, it was it was so weird to see Moorhead in that way, in that you normally talk to him, and he's just you know question and answer, sort of straightforward. Now we've seen him ups and down. I don't know if we've ever seen him as genuinely joyful as he was getting to talk to those parents and, and those families and those those kids today. Now I don't want to turn this into an infomercial for Mississippi State, but it, it, I, I agree with you that it, it didn't feel forced. And, we, and somebody mentioned that said, imagine if we were doing this with Mullen. Now, first off, he would never have allowed us in there. No, not in a million years. But if he had, I don't think it would have come across as it would have felt forced. For me, just based on what I know of Mullen and my, my perception of him and the time I was around him, <coughs> if he had acted like Joe Moorhead had acted today, I would have been like, man, he was put on a show. Yeah. I didn't feel that way with Joe. I don't feel like that at all. So, And, and, and it goes back to what I've said. And, and y'all know me, and I've tried to be completely honest with y'all, and I've said a million times that 
if you ask me if Joe Moore is going to be the head coach here in 2021, I'm just not sold on that fact because I don't know how the next year is going to go. But I am sold on the fact that with recruiting-wise, for as long as he's here, I think State's going to stay in that top 25 range at the very least because just – he loves to recruit. He's not he's not BSing you people when he says that. And and we got to see that in action and I, I came away very impressed uh, on that end of things. So we'll see what that means for the future. I don't want to break down the entire class, but I do want to talk about a couple more guys and then we'll get we'll have some sort of questions for you. Uh Will Rogers, we mentioned him. He's in an interesting situation next year. And we talked about it a little bit on Sports Talk Mississippi in that if the QB room empties out if Keaton and Jalen Maiden go, which you know I don't know, and we probably won't know until after the bowl game, but I mean he he could be your number two guy next year. So you know he, he good thing he he will be here I think this weekend to start practice. He's going to need that. He's going to need every rep he can get in the spring because it's it's very possible he could be your number two next year. Um, and we'll see how that goes for him because I I don't know why I feel like he's less prepared for it than Schrader was, but I do. Well. Maybe it's I, I know why I feel that way. Okay, why? Because Schrader's the Moorhead guy, the guy that knew all. Like, I just kind of felt like that Schrader for years and years and years had that relationship. Well, I agree, with I get that. But Will Rogers has been recruited from Mississippi State for for two a couple years, years now. now. So, I, I guess mean, you're right. I Moorhead, guess you're right. No, he's Moorhead's guy too. There's no question about that. And I feel like Schrader though had a little more of a reputation as a runner than Will does. That's that's the true statement there. That is very. And true. that's not saying that Will can't run. And, 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 and Schrader's just a bigger kid. You know, he's yeah. six foot four, six foot five, and and Will Rogers is. Uh, at six foot two, but Walt Rogers is a very good athlete and a very sharp guy. Uh, you know, I've talked a couple times. I think we've brought him up on the show. Jake Wimberly, who is a friend of mine and does Brandon's uh, play-by-play, he, he he raves about this kid. So like him, and then Emmanuel Forbes, the top-rated player in the state by twenty four sevens ranking. Now they're composite rankings, but they're just the twenty four seven site rankings. Had him as the number one player in the state, uh, top two hundred player, the number uh, twelve overall corner in the country. Like we mentioned him earlier. A lot of smoke around him around like late October, early November, when you thought you know he might make the flip. And Grenada, you know, a lot of good folks in Grenada, a lot of on both sides. But it's it's more of an Ole Miss town, I think, than Mississippi State. You know, Paul Jones is from the Grenada area, and he'll tell you the same. Um, but a good job by the staff. You know, I think T- Terrell Buckley, you know, did a good job with him. Bob Shoup did a good job with him, and then Joe Moorhead, like you said, you know. That was the biggest news after the Egg Bowl was Forbes coming out and saying, I'm shutting it down. Because there had been a lot of talk that he might even prolong it to February. And I'm a guy that believes if a kid tells you I'm prolonging it to February, your chances of signing him are not great. Nathan Pickering sort of bucked that trend last year. And I know it's a new thing, but the longer a kid puts off signing with you, that just means he doesn't want to sign with you. He's just waiting on something else. Yeah, and it was weird. Were you in there with us when we talked Pickering the other night? He was talking about that a little bit. And uh, Pickering said that he was talking about his recruitment. He was like, oh, they, they knew I was coming here. Like, I was never going anywhere else yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, Joe kind of said that last signing day. He, he, he told us, I think, on our exclusive Thunder and Lightning interview. Oh, that, that, that reminds me about that. Yeah, go that, ahead. Uh, that he thought that he, he wasn't all that concerned about Pickering yeah. and kind of considered – well, he couldn't say him at the time because he wasn't a signee, but yeah. he, he was not concerned with – Some of his – That's who he was talking about. Right. And, and Pickering kind of backed that up the other day. So, I don't know. It's kind of neat how some of that ends up shaking out. Real quick, we I forgot. We were supposed to have an interview with Joe Moorhead on t- uh, today up on supertalk.fm. But uh, as we, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the uh, there was an accident on, yes. uh, I guess that was Tuesday night. Uh, a couple of MSU football players were injured. DeMonte Russell, who was injured but then treated at the hospital and released. And then J.P. Purvis, was he's at the hospital 
he's in, I, I don't know what the terminology would be. Maybe your your wife is a nurse. She might be able to well, tell us. Well, she's an occupational therapist. That's, same thing. No, 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 no it's not the same no, thing. No. Right, whatever. <laughs> she's in the medical profession. <laughs> she does work at OCH. Okay. Well, anyway, he's resting in comfortably. In fact, I don't, I don't know that Purvis is at OCH, by the way. So. Okay, well, wherever he is, he's resting comfortably. Expect a full recovery. But based, long story short, uh, Joe Moorhead after the signing day festivities, he wanted to go to the hospital to see JP. So we told him, okay, we'll, we'll reschedule. So that interview will be on Thursday. So that'll be on Friday. Yes, we'll, Friday. We'll, we'll talk to him on Thursday, and it'll be on Friday um, up on supertalk.fm. Or so. late Thursday night if you want to stay up as soon as it hits. That's very true. All right. Who's who's the player in this class? I Don't, don't say Marks. Don't say Forbes. Who's the player in this class that you're the most intrigued by that you think that you know, if you you, you got to pick a uh, an early twenty twenty four, oh, your boy. Gosh. Oh man, who who, who are you who are you interested? Let in? me because this whole time I've been sitting here just talking with you. I, let me pull up the class again so I can kind of look at it. Do you have a guy while you're sitting? Here I do. While, I, I, while I, I said I've already mentioned while him, I'm looking uh, for the from the JUCO guys. It's just Trey Lawson from the high school guys. I know that you know McKinley Jackson is a top D tackle in the state, no question about that. But Steve and Paul have raved about Armandus Cooley since he committed to Mississippi State. Now, twenty four seven has a new ratings uh, bump coming out two days from uh, from signing day, so Friday. They fully expect him to get a bump into the four star range at that point. Six foot four, two hundred eighty pounds. He's just a big, athletic kid. His stats are crazy. He was a, a defensive tackle with 92 tackles. I mean, you don't see that very often. No. Um, I mean, and, and, and you know, high school stats, you never know. But uh, that's the guy for me, the high school kid that I'm, I'm the most intrigued by. I guess I got a, I got a couple ways I could go with this, but I feel like I feel like Forbes is going to have a chance to. Come in and play a little bit early. I agree with that because, but he's not going to be forced apart unless there's injury, because you know you've got whether it's Tyler Williams or Emerson or Jaron Jones. I mean, you have some, you have some guys that have played a little bit. Those are going to be your main guys. I feel like Forbes is going to be able to come in, and he's super talented and going to be able to like slowly develop kind of deal. And mm. by the time he's a sophomore, junior can be really relied upon like he's not gonna be just thrust in there and you know get burnt a bunch of times and confidence get hit and things so yeah. I, I think i'll go forbes okay I, i'll go with forbes and here in two or three years if i'm wrong you can make fun of me we will and that's okay no question I about love that you all. um msu with 22 guys obviously one of them's a grad transfer um they still have a couple slots to fill. I think they would love to get another offensive lineman. They'd love to find another receiver. But Joe Moore, he talked about it on uh, the press conference after everything, and he talked about high school, JUCO, and grad transfers. Don't you think for State, if they've got four spots left, that it makes sense that two of them are immediate are, are grad transfer guys that you're going to try to get in? And, and it didn't work out with Isaiah Zuber. You know, Stevens was going to be the starter. So you could say that it worked out at least. He just it just didn't pan out. Might be it didn't way pan out because of injury, which right. you couldn't see coming. Zuber just didn't work out at all for whatever reason. Um, but don't you think that they would be wise to try to find at least one grad transfer and maybe two 
that can play next year on the on the offensive side of the ball. Seems to make some sense. Yeah. Would they look um, at a running back? I'd love to know if if Joe Moorhead was hooked up to a lie detector test, how much he truly trusts Kareem Walker. Mm-hmm. Because if the answer to that question is not much, yes, you, you need to go after a mm-hmm. you need to go after a running back. Because I mean, I don't know that, that Lee Witherspoon is ready to be your feature back. And I don't think you want to bring in true freshman Jaquavius Marks and let him be your feature back. Right. At least not immediately. Maybe by mid season or so. Um Yeah. It, it, to me, it depends upon your trust level with Kareem Walker. And I, I kind of, sitting here today, I don't have much of a reason to feel this way, but I'm kind of like you in that I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so my gut instinct is, yes, if you have the opportunity to pick up a grad transfer running back, may want to do that. Yeah. Last question about recruiting, and then we'll, we'll switch gears. We'll talk a little basketball before we get out of here. Uh, you covered a lot of Starville High School football. There's a player on that roster that people, a lot of people around here would love to see in Maroon and White next year. I'd sign him up. Do you think Rufus Harvey will, be, will get us an offer before this is said and done? Oh, do I think he will? Yeah. You think MSU will go to like a best available kind of thing and say, we need another receiver, let's give him a shot? It kind of seems like... It kind of seems like if they can find somebody else that they like better, then no. Mm-hmm. But if, if they're sitting there and it's February... Or getting close to February, and they've still got a spot, and I don't know why you wouldn't. Yeah, I mean he is—he's productive. I mean, he is productive. I know his size isn't anything that's amazing or anything, but man, the kid just gets separation and makes plays. And if you're asking me if I would offer him, you darn right I would. But I don't know. You heard Joe Moorhead today as he was talking in part of his spiel about keeping the in-state guys, as you can't take all of them, mm-hmm. and I. I don't know that he was referencing Rufus Harvey in that instance, but it crossed my mind that maybe he's talking about about him, and I'm sure there's some others too. But I, if there's if there's a hole for him, I'd squeeze him in. I mean, I've seen enough of that kid to know he he's gonna he can help you. Um, he can help you win a football game. So yeah. I I don't know. I, I don't know why you would not. And at the very least, if he doesn't work out, you kind of <laughs> I know you're recruiting Altmeyer and, and, and you're recruiting some Starful Eye guys, but mm-hmm. that kind of keeps that Starful, Starful pipeline churning for the next guy, too. I know you don't want to waste a scholarship or anything, but I don't think Rufus Harvey would be a wasted scholarship. I agree. I agree with you. I, I'm at the point with some receivers that I would just take guys I trust to catch the football and figure it out. And we'll he s- would. We'll see what happens uh, in about 50 days. We'll uh, we'll do this again for it'll be much easier. I wonder if they'll have us back up there again for, I, I for asked, four more guys. I asked Bill about that. I yeah. said I said I'm going to guess if there's only like three or four guys here, we're not going to sit up here all day and do this again, right? And mm-hmm. He, he kind of indicated that if it was just three or four guys, which is what it's going which to what be, it's going to be. It's not going to be another twenty. Likely wouldn't do it that way unless but, they change some rules between now and then. Yeah. All right, MSU basketball, men's basketball. I think we were all sort of hoping for a nice easy game against Radford to uh, you know not have to do a whole lot of uh, fretting over. Not the case as Radford came ready to play and they came ready to shoot three pointers. Uh, they hit eleven in the first half, sixty four point seven from deep yeah. in the first half. Uh, I want to say they they led by as many as as I think they had an eight or nine point lead at one right. point. Uh, but MSU behind a huge night from their front court, they got eighteen out of Reggie Perry in only twenty two minutes. He played with a lot of foul trouble. 
Abdullah do 17 points and 12 rebounds, 17 points and 9 rebounds for Robert Woodard. Uh, and on a night where Tyson Carter did not have it at all, Bulldogs find a way to win. 77-68 is the final score uh, from the Humphrey Coliseum. And now the big story is this, and we all know it. Nick Weatherspoon is finally back. This team, it's gone from, you know, it's going to be great to get him back. That's really going to help. To they need him back. Yeah. Because I think they've they've about burned out they run, Tyson they've, Carter. They've run out of gas a little bit. They, re- they really seem to have. And, you know, Ben Hallen said after the game tonight that uh, today, as you're listening, that, that practice is going to just be they're not, they're, they're just just watching film. film. They're not going to practice at all. Uh, and they're going to try to. And they're also going to get a massage, Brian. Yes. Yes, I saw that. Um, <laughs> or at least Tyson is. I, Tyson think. I don't is, know yeah. anybody. <laughs> Tyson Carter, I mean, this is one of his worst games ever. He didn't hit a shot until I think the final two minutes of the game. Uh, he finished, I think, with nine points, and most of that was on the free throw line. Yeah. He just he could not hit shots. Um, DJ Stewart gave State some offense early in the game. Iverson Mullen are not much from points, but he had, uh, what, two blocks and, and he played some good defense. He's made, just an all around good player. He's a good player, you know, and, and is a true freshman. But playing these guys 34, 35 minutes a night, it's finally sort of caught up to them. Um, and they, they, they really, really need Nick Weatherspoon back at this point. And now they've got him back. Um, to me, I don't know if the big story, though, is Nick Weatherspoon's return. It's Abdullah News. Absolutely. It's not even a resurgence. It's a surgence. Yeah, yeah. The first seven games of the year averaged three points. The last three, he's averaged 13 points. Mm-hmm. And if he's giving you 13 points and close to 10 rebounds every night, he's averaging a double-double. You combine that with what you think Reggie Perry can be, and Nick Weatherspoon's coming back too, and when Tyson Carter's not playing 40 minutes a game, uh, you feel like he's going to be even better offensively than, than he's been. I still, I know that the Radford game was a little bit closer than anybody would have wanted it to be for a long time. If all that clicks and everybody stays healthy and Abdul keeps doing what he's doing and everybody else just kind of does what you think they're going to do, State's really, really good. Right. I mean, if you're getting, I think we did this before. If you just get, let's Nick Weatherspoon's going to average twelve points a game. That seems about right, right? So twelve from him, twelve from Carter. You get twelve, thirteen points from him. Let's say thirteen. So now we're at twenty-five. You get another thirteen points from Woodard. Now we're at uh, thirty-eight. You get fifteen points from uh, from Reggie. Now we're at uh, fifty-three. If I can get another. 10 points from Adu. Now we're at 63 before I get anything off the bench. I'm just getting 63 points out of my starters. You're going to win a lot of games doing that. And odds are one of those other guys are going to have 18 or 20 on, yeah. any, on any given night. Yeah, exactly. If anybody goes for 20 points, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. And then if you're just getting, you know, 8 or 9 from Iverson Molinar, 8 or 9 from – well, now we're in the 80s. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, the the team had kind of <laughs> – they absolutely struggled on the, around the perimeter, at least in the first half on Wednesday. But they're pretty good defensively. I think we can agree on that. that as a whole, they're pretty good defensively. And with Nick coming back, they're going to be better. You add all that together, man, there's a lot of wins there. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's, but they have to figure some things out. And their perimeter defense is one of those things. Teams are just getting good looks on them. Now, part of it is because of the way they, they – you know, and, and Hallam made the adjustment, give him credit for that, the way he was handling help defense in the first half versus the second half. Um, he got that figured out pretty quickly. But, you know, State's already had a couple of scares. They had the scare against Sam Houston State. They were down against Kansas State. They had a couple – they had one game that got away from them in Louisiana Tech. I won't – you know, Villanova is really good. I won't say anything there. you got to find ways to 
quit, quit digging these holes. You've got to find ways to get the lead and hold on to the lead and take it from there. Well, I told you tonight as we sat there and watched that game, I don't know what it is about Ben Howland teams, but it seems like every one of them that he's had since he's been at Mississippi State has just struggled out of the gate every game. Yeah. Like, the first half is always, it seems like, an adventure. And I don't... Adventure may be the wrong word, but it's always tight. It seems like regardless of opponent. Right. And then in the second half, more often than not, they kind of figure it out. But yeah. if his team ever can play a full 40 minutes instead of just the last 20 minutes. Yeah, they'll be in great shape. Yeah. No question. So, 8-2 uh, and two now. Nick Weatherspoon back on Sunday. We hope to talk to Nick on Friday. We have a basketball media availability. Don't know if that's going to happen or not, but it would make a lot of sense for MSU to finally let us talk to him. And you know, because and if not on Friday after the game, after the game Sunday, on Sunday, one way or the other, I would think that they need to make him available. Yeah, I agree. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, and like I said, back at the, at the Mississippi Coliseum on Sunday, two o'clock tip off. Uh, here's what you do: you come to Jackson, do a little shop in a college corner. And then you come and, to the game. And if you're in Starkville, stop by Strange Brew on the way to Jackson. There you go. And make it all happen. All right. And you could listen to Thunder and Lightning on, on the way the down. Yeah. Joel? Just good ideas. Joel? Yep. It's time to, to end this day. Yeah. We're as not much dig- as, as we much as I love you, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to go. We're, a, we're not a digging few hours ditches and we're not doing construction, but it's been a long day. It has. Time, I have, I've spoken with every head coach on campus of the major sports except Vic Schaefer. There you go. We'll see how that goes for us. Talk to you guys on, uh, what is today? Thursday, yeah. Uh, is it midnight yet? Yeah, it's not yet, yeah. Okay. So we'll talk to you guys on Friday, and we'll have that interview with Joe Moorhead on Friday as well. For Joel T. Coleman, I'm Brian Adad. Thanks for listening. The Thunder and Lightning on Super Mississippi Media Production.